0: Good morning. I'd like you to join me in your Bibles in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. No discussion of giving would be complete until we eventually got around to the issue of how much to give. And Paul is operating much in the mode of a seasoned salesperson because he leaves that subject till last. In 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9, he's shown us the model of giving, the manner of giving, the motive of giving, the means of giving, the method of giving, the menace of giving. And now that we're all charged up, now that we're convinced that giving is something we ought to do, now that we acknowledge that giving is really grace manifest through our lives, now Paul is going to talk about the amount of giving. Now he's going to deal with the seventh part of our outline, the measure of giving. Now he's going to answer the question, how much? And Paul lays that out in chapter 9, verses 6 to 15. And since I know that you're anxious to get right to the bottom line, Paul gives the answer to the question, how much, in verse 7. And notice what he says. Each one must give a tenth of all that you have to the Lord. For God says, thou shalt tithe. Is that what your Bible says? You know, if Paul wanted to say that, he could save us ten verses and just say it. What does he say in verse 7? Each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart not grudgingly or under compulsion for God loves a cheerful giver how much should I give whatever I have purposed in my heart and then I'm to give it willingly and I'm to give it freely and I'm to give it joyfully God doesn't legislate Giving. That's why he clearly said back in chapter 8 and verse 8, this is not a command. And God doesn't legislate the amount of giving. Each person is to purpose that in their own heart. Tithing, which means a tenth, and which many espouse as a mandate upon the Christian today, is an Old Testament teaching. According to the law, in Leviticus 27, the Israelites were to give a tenth to the Levites, the priests. Deuteronomy 12 says they were to give another 10% to fund the national feast, the national holidays. In Deuteronomy 14, we're told they were to give another 10% every third year for the poor. And so when you add that up, what is called tithing comes out to be over 20%. It's equivalent, really, to a tax in the theocracy of Israel. It was mandatory. And that's why God says in Malachi chapter 3, you're robbing God when you don't give it. But you know, when you come to the New Testament, you can count the number of occasions that tithing is mentioned on one hand. And in none of those occasions is it prescribed for us today. Matthew 23, with the parallel account in Luke chapter 11, Jesus says to the Pharisees, Woe to you hypocrites! You tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier provisions of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. You're tithing, all right. You even tithe your spice rack. You get out the oregano you just bought and put 10% aside and give it to the Lord. But he says you're missing what I really want, and that is obedience and mercy and faithfulness. In Luke chapter 18, the Pharisee stands up in the temple and prays to himself, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or like this tax gatherer over here. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get. And Jesus uses that man as an example of self-righteousness. In Hebrews chapter 7, the writer mentions tithing as he recounts the story from the Old Testament where Abraham had an encounter with Melchizedek. And you know what? That's it. That's all the mentions of tithing in the New Testament. And in fact, in the examples we do have of giving in the New Testament, the givers never give 10%. The widow gave how much? 100%. The Macedonians in chapter 8 of 2 Corinthians in verse 3 gave according to their ability and beyond their ability. The Philippians gave to the point of being in need themselves. Zacchaeus gave 50% to the poor and 400% to those he had defrauded. In the New Testament, there is no set percentage for giving. Tithing, which is giving 10%, is not a mandate for us today. I like what John MacArthur says about tithing. He says there are three things wrong with 10%. Number one, it isn't biblical. Number two, it's giving to fulfill an obligation rather than being the response of a loving, willing heart. And number three, it hinders what you could do by making you think you're done. You say, well, if tithing is not God's mandate for us today, what is? Well, the guidelines set forth in the New Testament are basically three. Number one, we are to give systematically. 1 Corinthians 16.2 says, upon the first day of the week, let everyone lay up in store. Giving is to be weekly. You're to do it regularly. You're to do it systematically. It's something you're to do week by week by week. It's not something you just do on the spur of the moment. It's not something you do haphazardly. It's not something you do sporadically. It's to be regularly. It's to be systematic. There was a time when I gave monthly. That's because I got a paycheck monthly, and it was simpler to give once a month. Timpa and I decided that we would give Weekly, partly because we wanted to take this verse literally, and partly because we realized that giving is part of our worship. In Philippians 4:18, we're told that giving is a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. But you know what? In today's technology, I don't know about you, but I don't write checks very often. I pay my bills online. And because of that, sometimes I forget to write a check on Sunday morning to give to the Lord, and I get behind. Sometimes if God was like the city, he would cut off my water. And just like the city, you know what? I've decided to let God take it out of my paycheck. So I went online, and I signed up for online giving. Very easy to do. It's an advertisement. Very easy to do. I gave today, didn't write a check. I'm giving systematically because I've already purposed in my heart how much to give, and it comes out of my paycheck week by week by week. That is giving regularly, and that is worship to the Lord. You're to give systematically. In fact, I'll tell you this. Because I didn't give systematically, because I forgot to give, I actually am paying back the Lord for some times I forgot. I had... Uh, the lady that kind of does our accounting come up to me about a week ago and say, we have a problem with the accounting because we got two deposits from you on the same Sunday. I said, well, that was my giving for that Sunday and that was my makeup check so I can get my water back on. We're to give systematically. Secondly, we're to give proportionately. In that same verse in 1 Corinthians 16, 2, It says, a man is to give as he may prosper. Giving is to be directly related to prosperity. I'm to give in proportion to what I have. In Acts chapter 11, verse 29, we read, And in the proportion that any of the disciples had means, each of them determined to send a contribution for the relief of the brethren living in Judea. The more I have the more I am to give. heard about a fellow who came to his pastor and said, I'm I'm getting a generous uh, salary. every. I make $2,000 a week. I just got a promotion, and I'm having trouble being faithful and giving with my $2,000 a week. The pastor said, well, how much did you make in your other position? He said, I only made $500 a week. He said, were you faithful in giving then? He said, yes, I was. Pastor, would you please pray for me? And the pastor said, all right, I'll pray for you. Father, bring this brother back to 500 a week salary so he can get back in your will. See, giving is to be proportionate. You say, well, what proportion should I give? Well, that's the third guideline. We're to give purposefully. In 2 Corinthians 9, 7, he says we're to give as we purpose." in our heart. The amount of giving is something that every individual is to determine in his own heart. It's a personal thing. There's no mandatory scale like you have the tax scale where you go in there and say, here's how much I made, how much do I give? It's something you purpose in your heart. It's a personal thing, and it's a premeditated thing. Giving is not to be something that is simply persuaded out of you by emotional appeals. Some people watch TV and they watch some kind of appeal on TV and they get all emotional and they mail their wallet off. That's not the way you're to give. You're not to come to church and say, if I get a quiver in my liver, then I'll give. In fact, let me say this. Compulsive giving is immature giving. Because the Bible says you are to purpose in your heart. You're to get before the Lord. If, if you're married, you're to sit down with your spouse, and you're to decide in your heart, purpose in your heart. This is how much we're going to give to the Lord. Now, that may be a percentage for you. If it is, I would say this, and please listen. The percentage you give to the Lord under grace ought to be more than it was under law. If they gave 10% under law, that ought to be a starting point for my giving under the grace of God. It may be a percentage for you. It may be that you sit down and say, you know what, this is how much we can live on. And everything else goes to the Lord. You're to purpose in your heart how much to give. It's between you and God. You say, well, Dan, give me a little help. I I don't know how to deal with that. Well, it's interesting. All around this verse 7, Paul gives us some directive on how much to give. And I've written down eight questions that you ought to ask yourself when you're determining in your heart how much you're going to give to the Lord. Here are the eight questions. Number one, how much do you want to reap? Look at verse 6. Now this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. When you, you give, you are not throwing your money away. When you give, you are not pouring your money down the drain. You are sowing. You are planting. You are Investing. 12 years ago, Temp and I built a house, and uh, I went out to Shawneeville, and I, is that what it's called, Shawneeville? Bought 300 pounds of fescue grass seed. You're not going to believe what I did with it. I walked around and threw it on the ground. Does that sound crazy? Does that sound absurd? No, because I wanted to get a yard. You see, in order to get a yard, you have to sow. A farmer understands that in order to harvest a crop, he first has to sow seed. And whatever amount he chooses to sow determines the amount that he's going to harvest. If he sows sparingly, he reaps sparingly. If he sows bountifully, he reaps bountifully. I remember asking my father-in-law, Bob Hamill, how much should I throw down on the ground? And he said, just keep throwing the seed until it looks like the hair on a dog's back. You know what he was saying? Sow bountifully if you want a good yard. When we give to God, we are sowing, we are planting And there is a harvest to come. That harvest will come in the fruit of the salvation of others, in the fruit of spiritual growth, in the fruit of spiritual blessings, physical blessings, eternal blessings. Would you like a sparse harvest? Or would you like a bountiful harvest? You see, it's up to you. You determine in your heart. Jesus said in Luke chapter 6 and verse 38, Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. They will pour into your lap. For whatever measure you deal out, it will be dealt to you in return. A prosperity preacher didn't say that. A fundraiser didn't say that. Jesus said that. Whatever measuring cup you choose to use to give to God, God will use that same measuring cup to give back to you. Whatever measure you use in sowing will determine the measure of your harvest. So when you're contemplating how much to give, ask yourself how much you want to reap because giving is sowing. Second question, how much do you want to please God? Look at verse 7, each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. There are certain things that I find myself saying I love. Sometimes I think I shouldn't use that word, but you know, you say, I love to watch football. I love to eat pizza. I love to to hang out with my friends. Here's a time when God says it. God loves to see us give. It pleases Him. But you know, He isn't pleased with any kind of giving. God is more interested in the attitude of your giving than the amount of your giving. It's not how much you give, it's why you give. God is not so concerned about the quantity of your giving as He is the quality of of the giver. And so he says it's not to be done grudgingly. Literally, that word means not out of sorrow. Not when you give and say, oh, that was painful. Oh, I wish I could keep that and spend it on myself. I'm going to get married in less than a month. If after I'm married, I say to Lisa, honey, I love you and I want you to get a new dress, Kmart is having a factory reject sale. (laughs) It was damaged in water or fire or something. Go down there and find the cheapest one you can find because I want you to have a new dress. What would I be saying? I would be saying how little can I give and still call myself married? (laughs) See, that's giving grudgingly. Somebody was giving me a hard time because I'm planning our uh, honeymoon, and I found a great deal in Mexico, five nights for like $3.99 each. And the only catch is we have to go to a 90 minute presentation. (laughs) So I told Lisa, I said, I got this great deal. We're going to love it. The only catch is we got to sit for 90 minutes and listen to a sales talk. And she said, I'm fine with that. And I knew I've got the right girl. Then he says, not under compulsion. Never give out of guilt. Never give because you feel like you have to. Giving is not to be grin and bear it. Sometimes these guys come on TV and say, if you don't give me some money, we're going to have to shut down our ministry. They're trying to get you to give under compulsion. It's to never be done that way. Rather, he says, you're to be a cheerful giver. The Greek word used there is a Greek word, hilarios, from which we get our word, hilarios. The root word for miserable is miser. Who's the most miserable person on earth? The, the, The person who hoards it all for themselves. Who's the most hilarious, cheerful, joyful person on earth? It's the most generous person. And God loves it when He sees His children giving generously and cheerfully to Him and to others. And so, when you're contemplating how much to give, ask yourself how much you want to please God, because that's what giving does. And then, third, how much do you want to multiply your capacity to give? Look at verse 8. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. And then he quotes from Psalm 112, a psalm about the man who fears the Lord. And he says, He scatters abroad, He gives to the poor his righteousness endures forever. Verse 10, now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing. Did you ever say, I'd like to give more if I only had more? Well, these verses are for you. Because these verses tell us there is a condition for getting more. And that is giving more. And Paul uses some real comprehensive terms here. He says, all grace abound. Always having all sufficiency in everything. You will have an abundance. Verse 10, it will multiply. But who is God talking to here? He's talking to the one who scatters and gives. Which tells me if you are willing to give, if you have purposed in your heart to give, if you are giving what you have right now, God will see that you have an abundance so that you can give more. Now be careful you don't misinterpret this. The prosperity gospel says you give so that you can get back and have it for yourself. That's not what he's saying here. Notice who he's talking to. In verse 8, he says, you'll have an abundance for what? For every good deed. In verse 10, he will multiply your seed for sowing. God is not promising he's going to give it to you so that you can spend it on yourself. Or hoard it for yourself. He's giving it to you so that you can give it away to others. John Bunyan, who wrote the great work Pilgrim's Progress, said this A man there was, and they called him mad. The more he gave, the more he had. And he was talking about a Christian. The world looks at people who give and say they're mad. That's nonsense. But God's promise is, if you are a giver, I will multiply it back to you so that you can give more. And the key is that God wants you to be a funnel. God wants you to be a conduit. God is a giving God. That is God's heart. So if you are a person who will be a conduit for God, he will give you more so that you can give more to others. So when you're contemplating how much to give, ask yourself how much you want your capacity for giving to be multiplied because that's what giving does. And then the fourth question to ask yourself, how much fruit do you want in your heavenly account? Notice the end of verse 10. He will multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. Now what's the harvest of your righteousness? Well, I think he's using this word righteousness the way Jesus used it in Matthew chapter 6 where he said, beware of practicing your righteousness before men. And what's the first thing he mentioned? Giving. Giving is practicing your righteousness. So he's really saying, as you sow in giving, you will reap a harvest from God. And that's what Paul wrote to the church at Philippi. They sent him a gift. And in Philippians 4, 17, he says, Not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek for the fruit which increases to your account. When they gave, there was fruit that increased in their heavenly account. It's what Jesus was talking about in Matthew 6, 20, when he said, Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. It's exciting to me that we can take something very tangible and very temporal, money, and we can give it, and it increases the harvest of our incorruptible, eternal reward. So as you are contemplating how much to give, just ask yourself how much you want the fruit in your heavenly account to increase, because that's what giving does. Fifth question. How much do you want to meet the needs of others? Verse 12. For the ministry of this service is not only fully supplying the needs of the saints. Stop right there. What's it doing? It's fully supplying the needs of the saints. Giving obviously meets the needs of other people. And that in itself ought to be enough incentive The believers in Jerusalem had a need, and the Gentile believers could have made excuses. They could have said, well, it's not our fault that they had a famine. Those churches over closer to them ought to give. We're 700, 800 miles away, and we got problems of our own. But see, grace doesn't operate that way. Grace doesn't make excuses. It grabs opportunities. And so when you're contemplating how much to give, ask yourself how much you want to meet the needs of others. Because that's what giving does. And then sixth, how much do you want to thank God? Look at verse 11. You will be enriched in everything for all liberality, which through us is producing thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only fully supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing through many thanksgivings to God. And then bound in verse 15, he just says, Thanks be to God. Some of us know what it's like to have a need and have someone show up at just the right time and give to meet that need. And what do we do when that happens? We praise God, we glorify God, we thank God. You see, you by your giving can be the incentive for someone else giving thanks to God. And that's a huge privilege. We sing, how can I say thanks for the things you have done for me? Things so undeserved. You ever sing that song? You don't want to hear it, do you? How can I say thanks for all God has given to me? Well, the answer is right here. I can give thanks to God by giving. And not only does my giving bring my individual thanks to God, it also brings somebody else into the picture and is the incentive for them also giving thanks to God. And that's why spirit-led giving doesn't mind being anonymous because I want all the thanks to go to who? To God. So when you're contemplating how much to give, ask yourself how much thanksgiving you want God to receive because that's what giving does. And then the seventh question, how much do you want to bond with others? Look at verse 13. Because of the proof given by this ministry, They will glorify God for your obedience to your confession of the gospel of Christ and for the liberality of your contribution to them and to all, while they also, by prayer on your behalf, yearn for you because of the surpassing grace of God in you. Paul says, When the poor saints in Jerusalem see God's grace in you, they will glorify God for your obedience, they will glorify God for your generosity, They will pray for you and they will yearn for you. Now, this is a pretty cool picture because these were Jews in Jerusalem who had been converted to Christ and they are glorifying God and praying for and yearning for Gentiles. Gentiles, most of whom they have never even met. So the giving in the early church created a bond between both Jewish believers and Gentile believers that probably was not going to be accomplished any other way. There's nothing that bonds like giving because, as we learned, giving is an expression of grace. In fact, he says they will see God's grace in you. And there is nothing that bonds people together like the grace of God. And the grace of God is expressed in the most tangible way in your life when you give. As a church, we give to meet the needs of a number of missionaries around the world. And there is a bonding that occurs because of that. We pray for them. They pray for us. We are part of their ministry. We want to know how things are going there, whether they're good, whether they're bad, whether they're painful. We bond with them. They bond with us because of giving. Giving can build that kind of unity. And so when you're contemplating how much to give, ask yourself how much you want to be bonded together with others in true unity, because that's what giving does. And then there's one more question. How much do you want to be like God? Verse 15 says, Thanks be to God for his indescribable Gift. As a final consideration, Paul turns our attention to our giving God. When God took the opportunity to give, how much did He give? When God purposed in His heart how much He was going to give to you, how much did He decide to give? Well, Paul says, you can't even measure it. I can't even elaborate on it. It exceeds words. He simply says, it is his indescribable gift. You and I are saved today because when God contemplated how much to give, it was indescribable. God so loved the world that that he gave his only begotten, son we have a giving God and when we give guess what we are looking more like him we are taking after our father in heaven because that's the way he is and that's why Paul said back in verse 14 that giving is God's grace inside of you you are never more like God than when you're giving So, when you're contemplating how much to give, ask yourself this question How much do I want to be like God? Because His giving is off the charts. Well, that's the measure of giving. When it comes to the amount of giving, God doesn't mandate how much to give. He wants each of us to purpose in our hearts what we should give to Him. But as we do so, Paul says, you need to ask yourself some questions How much do you want to reap? How much do you want to please God? How much do you want to multiply your capacity to give more? How much fruit do you want in your heavenly account? How much do you want to meet the needs of other people? How much do you want to bring thanks to God? How much do you want to be bonded together with other people? And how much do you want to be like God? May God help us to display his grace in our lives. By giving. You know, I was thinking that before you answer those questions, there's a more fundamental question you must answer. And that is have you received what God has given to you? Have you accepted God's indescribable gift? So you can't be a cheerful giver until you've been a cheerful receiver. You can't let God's grace flow out from you until you've received God's grace. So the praise team is coming back to close this morning. We're going to stand and sing together. But as we do, I'm going to challenge you today. If you're not a cheerful giver, if you're not someone who really understands that we give because God has lavished his indescribable gift on us, then I invite you today to come to faith in Jesus Christ. Or if you're a believer today and you're, you're hoarding what you have because you're not really in the right relationship with him, then I call on you today to be restored in your relationship with God and let him make you into the conduit that he wants you to be, to lavish his grace and his free giving. On others. Let's get serious with God as we close our service today. Let's stand as we sing together in contemplation.